Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not... um, Sorry, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is the word of God. As always, it is indeed a great privilege to open God's word to you tonight. And we are very grateful that you've decided to join us here in the evening service. Uh, You join us on the second week of our series in 1 Peter. The series is called Elect Exiles. I'm sure you would have heard the song by Black Newborn playing in the background just to remind you of what this series is about. But before I pray and come to God's word, let me just first say it'll be worth your while to consider listening to David's sermon from last week. It will help you for the rest of the series as you try and catch up on what we are doing. But if you are not here, let me just give you a quick recap of what David spoke to us about last week. David reminded us from God's word that we are elect exiles. Now that word elect means that God has chosen us. God has elected us. God has chosen to save us through his son, Jesus. The other thing that we were told from last week that we saw is that we are exiles. See, this group of Christians that Paul, Peter wrote to are scattered all over the place. And so Peter reminds them that, hey, you are citizens of another country. You have another home. You are aliens and strangers in this world. So he then calls them, as we will see in the rest of the letter, to live like it, to live like people who are indeed strangers and aliens on this world. That is just a quick recap of what we spoke about last week. I would really encourage you to consider going to listen to that sermon. But as we start our sermon here tonight, let me pray for us. Our dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your great Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that through him you have chosen us and that you have made us your very own people. You have made us your treasured position. And dear Lord, while we live in this world as aliens and as strangers, Lord, we often struggle with some of the brokenness that we see in our world. We struggle because our hearts long for this perfect world that you have promised us. And so, Lord, as we live now, with our suffering and brokenness, would you help us to understand the kind of identity that can help us to handle trials and suffering? And this we do pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. If there are two words, two words, that in the church are treated like chalk and cheese, these two words are like day and night, it's definitely got to be the words blessings and suffering. See, these two are like the North and South Pole. If you're in the North Pole, you're blessed. If you're in the South Pole, you're suffering. See, even in a room this big, I am quite certain that very few people would have heard these two words ever being used in a sentence together, let alone a sermon. So I think the reason why we struggle with making sense of suffering, I think the reason behind this is because we struggle with making sense of suffering. And this often then leads us to have an incorrect understanding of blessing as well. See, we don't like suffering, you and I. We don't. We don't like talking about it. We don't even like thinking about it. And very often what we often do is we we find more palatable or much more pleasant words to use instead of the word suffering. See, we will use words or phrases such as, this is just a stepping stone to greater things. Amen. Amen. This is just a setback. Oh, this is, I'm just going through some stuff. I'm just going through some things. See, the, the song that we sang at the very end today, the author, the author of that song, Laura Stone, actually had a similar struggle. See, in a, in a video on her website, she tells of the story that led her to writing the song. This is what she says. She says she grew up in a church where she knew blessing as being material. You get blessing that is material. She grew up thinking that suffering is something that we should not go through as Christians. But when her husband became ill, she then began to wrestle with this understanding of blessing and suffering. She then came to a true understanding of what suffering is all about. And then she wrote, as we sang a bit earlier, these very words. What if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand nights are what it takes to know that God is near? What if the trials of this life are his mercies in disguise? Now now I wonder as as you hear those words, as we sang together, whether you ever thought of trials or suffering in this way. If you've asked the very same questions that she had asked herself. Now, let me make a quick disclaimer as we move forward in the sermon. Let me make a disclaimer from the onset. I'm not saying that suffering is not overwhelming. It is. Suffering is overwhelming, and it is hard. And at times, it is unjust. So please hear me. That's not what I'm saying. See, I've heard some Christians who make it seem like suffering or going through the process of suffering is a good thing, like it's enjoyable. It's enjoyable to go through the process of suffering, to lose someone. I've heard some Christians speak in that way. Now, I'm not convinced that that's what the Bible says. I'm not convinced that's what this passage tonight as well says. See, joy does not come from the process of suffering. Joy comes from the purpose and the result of suffering. Listen to Heath Lambert. His quote will be right behind me. Now, Heath Lambert is a brilliant writer. He's got quite a thick book called A Theology of Biblical Counseling. 
So if you're very interested in counseling or, or Christian psychology, he's one of the best people to go to. He's in the same light as your Ed Welch. He's a brilliant guy. Listen to what he says about suffering. He says, we are not called to rejoice at suffering in and of itself. Suffering is bad. Suffering is hard. And suffering often comes at the hand of wicked people. Therefore, we do not rejoice in suffering because we love suffering in and of itself. We rejoice in suffering because we look forward to what God is able to do through suffering. That's a brilliant quote. Now listen to Tim Keller. He has written a book called Walking with God Through Pain. Listen to what he says. Christianity teaches that contra fatalism, so unlike fatalism, suffering is overwhelming. Unlike Buddhism, suffering is real. Unlike karma, suffering is often unfair. But unlike secularism, suffering is meaningful. There is a purpose to it. And if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. See, we're not called to enjoy the process of suffering. But there's a purpose to our suffering, and there's a result to it. And this result often results in joy. See, tonight we will see as we go through this passage, how, how is it that as Christians we can have the kind of identity that can handle trials? How can you and I have the kind of identity that can handle going through the most? And you see, in this passage tonight, Peter wants these believers, and he wants you and I to know that there's a purpose to our suffering, that you and I can have the kind of identity. Actually, we have this identity that can help us handle trials. And you see, as we go through our passage tonight, I have three things I will point out to us, three quick things that I think Peter wants us to see from this passage on how we as elect exiles can live with an identity that can handle trials. Now, I should mention that all these three things are centered around the topic or the theme of hope. They're all centered around the theme of hope. Now, the first item that Peter wants us to know as elect exiles uh, is that you and I, as elect exiles, have a sure hope. You and I have a sure hope. Look at what it says in verse 3. Come and read verse 3 with me. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, I'm not sure if you noticed what Peter begins with there. He, he starts with the Father's mercy. He, that's a great place to start, talking about the Father's mercy. Now, if you've never heard the word mercy, the, mo the word mercy simply means that you and I do not get what we deserve. So if you've done something wrong and you had a penalty that was due you, not getting that penalty is mercy. Now, now why does Peter start there? That's a very good question to ask. Why does he start here? Now, before I answer that question, this is what I want to say. See, I am convinced that very often when you and I are going through suffering, when you and I are going through the most, when you and I are going through a hard time, whether you're being ignored for promotions at work, or you're being ostracized at work because you have decided to stand up for Jesus, because of your ethical or moral standing, or maybe when you're ridiculed at campus 
for not partaking in the king's food. The student from yesterday would remember that. Or when you've prayed for a financial breakthrough that doesn't seem to come. When you pray for, for employment that doesn't seem to come. When you have a loved one whom you've been praying for who just never seems to recover. And the list goes on. I think when you and I are going through such things, you and I are tempted at these moments to think that God has abandoned us. To think that God has somehow turned his back on us. We wonder, is God still for me? Am I still among his chosen people? And the other question that we ask ourselves is, why do bad things happen to good people? See, although these are not bad questions at all, I am convinced that when these two questions remain unanswered, when we search for the answer to these two questions in the wrong place, what usually happens is you and I become stuck in an endless loop of hopelessness. That's what happens. Because at that moment, what usually happens is that you and I have placed our hope in our circumstances changing. We say to ourselves, one day I'll get the recognition I deserve at work. One day people will like me at campus. One day I will have a job, a good job. One day I will, you can fill in the blank. And when it looks like these things are not coming, we become despair and despondent. And we become bitter at life. And we become bitter especially towards God. Now I'm sure that these believers that Peter writes to would have had the same kind of temptation. And the lesson that we are meant to see is it is unwise to place your hope in the change of your circumstances. See, Peter is telling them, he's telling these believers, and he's telling us tonight about the Father's mercy. He wants us to know about the Father's mercy. He wants us to know that God in our suffering has not abandoned us. We are still his chosen people. We are still his treasured position. And we are still God's treasured position because God showed us his mercy while we were still bad. While we were still sinners. While we were still people who were not part of his kingdom. While we were not his people, God showed us his mercy. It is God who initiated this work of choosing us to belong to him. See, Peter in this passage shows us that God does not just choose us but that God then causes us to be born again. See, this God who chose us, in this passage in verse 3, we see that he initiates the move of us being born again. It is God who makes the step. It is a God who makes the move towards us to be born again. Now, I'm not sure what kind of background you come from. Uh, I remember uh, at campus while I was a student around 2009, I remember someone walking up to me straight after I'd become a Christian. And I remember this person saying to me, hey, now we're talking about this born-again born word. This is what the person said to me. They asked me, are you a Christian? And at that moment, I'd just become a Christian. I was very excited. And I said, yeah, I am a Christian. And thereafter, the person turned to me. as almost to dampen my spirit. The person said, but are you born-again born again Christian? And I sat there thinking, what are they talking about? Is there something I'm missing out on? Is there some super saiyan Christian power that I should be drawing, that I should be getting? 
I sat there wondering. And I'm quite sure you yourself have had a conversation with someone where you sit there with the person and the person says to you, yes, I am a Christian. I'm a Christian, but, but I'm not like those born-again Christians. As if these two things are separate. Or as if you and I decide that we can be born again. As if we are the ones who make the move. As if we are the ones who move towards God. In biology, I learned something about the work of transformation. Uh, the transformation work of a tadpole and the transformation work of a, cata- of a, cata- a caterpillar. Schoa. <laughs> <laughs> These two things, the transformation of a tadpole to become a bullfrog or a frog, or the transformation of a caterpillar to become a butterfly. Now, what I remember from biology is that none of these, the tadpole and the caterpillar do not decide when the transformation happens. They don't. But, but the transformation happens. And here's the thing, when the transformation has happened, the bullfrog cannot decide I'm going back to be a tadpole. And neither can the butterfly decide I'm going back to be a caterpillar. And here's the thing that I want you to get from this. This work that God does of making us to be born again is irreversible. God does this work for us to be born again. This great work of transformation. And once you have been born again, nothing can reverse that. See, in John chapter 3, Jesus says, this work of being born again is the work that is done by the Spirit. And in our passage tonight, we are told, because of the resurrection of Jesus, you and I become born again. God causes us through his great mercy through Jesus to be born again. So as we stand here, we know that Jesus rose. We know that Jesus lives. So our hope is certain. See, God has caused us to be born again into his family. He has given us a new name. You have a new name. Now you're a child of God. You have a new ID. You're a citizen of heaven. And nothing can change that. Now hear this. Nothing, even including your own suffering, can change your identity before God. Nothing. We have a sure hope that this God has chosen us to be his. And he has put a stamp on it through the resurrection of his son. You and I have a sure hope, an an identity that can handle trials. Listen to this quote from Ed, Edmund Clowney. I'll just call him, I'll just call him Ed Clowney. This is a brilliant uh, commentary that I've been working through. It's a very simple commentary. If you want to buy it, it's a very, very light commentary by BST. You can come and ask me about it a bit later. Listen to what he says about our hope, our sure hope. This is what he says. Our hope is anchored in the past. Jesus rose. Our hope remains in the present. Jesus lives. Our hope is completed in the future. Jesus is coming. You and I have a sure hope that God has made us his. And not even suffering can change that identity. Now let's go to our second point, which is eternal hope. You and I have an eternal hope. Let's read verse 4 together. Verse 4 reads as follows. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now, Peter uses quite an interesting word in this passage. He uses that word inheritance. Now, there's a reason why Peter decides to use this particular word at this particular moment. Let me just tell you quickly about it. 
just to remind you from what David told us last week. These guys are exiles. What happened to these guys is they were facing persecution. And the kind of persecution that, that, that they were facing caused them, some of them, to run away from their homes. They ran away from their native land. Now, do you know what follows that? If someone runs away from where they were, just like most people did, they went to exile during the apartheid days, what would happen to these guys is the land that they had, the property that they had, the business that they had, that perhaps would give them, that was a form of inheritance for the family that could be passed on to the next generation, is something that would have been lost. They would have lost some of these things. And the other thing that would have happened is it, when some of them decided to convert from a pagan religion to become a Christian, what would have happened is their family could have decided to excommunicate them. So some of them would have been estranged from their families, meaning after they had been excommunicated from the family, that they themselves would have lost their claim to the family inheritance. Now, Peter is well aware of this. He's aware that they would be feeling, how they would be feeling about their life and their future because of their suffering. He knows that they'll be feeling uncertain about life and their future. And you see, God, through the words of Peter tonight, and by the power of his spirit, wants you to know that he knows how uncertain you feel about life and the future because of your suffering. Now, so perhaps some of you, when you became a Christian, now, this does not seem like something that has happened to Molina, but some people, when they decide to turn away from their old way of life to turn to Jesus, their family decides, we're done with you. And you see, in this verse, Peter gives us a great hope. And this is the hope that he wants us as Christians to know. This is the hope that he wants these believers he's writing to, to know. This is the hope he wants them to know. They have an eternal hope. See, the word that he uses, the inheritance, is to tell them that they have an eternal hope. But, but, but what is this inheritance, you may ask? What's this inheritance? Well, as we read through the Bible, the rest of the Bible, which gives us a bigger picture, this inheritance is the new heavens and the new earth that God has prepared for his chosen people. See, the resurrection guarantees this new land. The resurrection is a sign that God will reveal and God will give to his people their inheritance. So this inheritance is land, but this inheritance also includes benefits that comes with the land and that comes with being with God as well. Listen to John in Revelation as he describes this new place that God has prepared for us and the benefits that are ours. The passage will be right behind me. Revelation 21 from verse 1 reads as follows. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be, the, will be with them as they are God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be, no more, shall be no more. 
Neither shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. You guys pick up what John is saying there in Revelation. He points out to us what this inheritance is. It's a land that God has prepared for us, the new heaven and the new earth. And along with this new heaven and new earth, God gives us the benefits that come with it as well. We are told there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more hurt. Now, J.R.R. Tolkien, in his series of um, The Lord of the Rings, writes these words through one of the characters who is called Sam. This is what Sam says. The quote will be right behind me once again. Sam says this, There's a great Sunday morning in eternity where all the said things come untrue. You are, re- you are re- reunited with the lost child. Disease is taken away. There's no more pain and crying. And God wipes away every tear. See, these Christians who were going through all sorts of suffering and all sorts of persecution would have marveled at hearing these words, that God has an eternal hope for them, that God has a hope that he has prepared for them. Uh, I don't know if you see in the passage how, how this eternal hope is described. Listen to what it says. An inheritance that is imperishable, that is undefiled and unfading. Those words mean Nothing can destroy this inheritance. Nothing. Nothing can destroy this inheritance that God has prepared for his people. And God has kept it for his people. God has prepared it for his people. So in our time of suffering, this is the great hope we have. That God is a new city, a new heavens, and a new earth. That is tons, tons much better than this world we live in. So Christian who's being mistreated at work, who was ostracized at work, Christian who's being made fun of at campus because you have decided to stand for Jesus, Christian who's been praying for a job, for finances, for sick loved ones, and somehow your prayers feel unanswered. Listen to these words. We have an eternal hope. We have an eternal hope. You and I have the kind of ID that can help us to handle trials. So hold on to this. Hold on to the fact that God says you have an eternal hope. Let's go to our third and last point, enduring hope. And I'll read from verse 5 to verse 9. Verse 5 reads as follows. Who by God's Power are being, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though, for a little, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not know him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled, excuse me, with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, 
the salvation of your souls. See, what we see in this section is that we do not only have an inheritance that God has kept for us, an inheritance that God has prepared for us, but we ourselves are being kept for that inheritance by God. See, God is keeping us. God is guarding us by, God is guarding us by his power as his people. Now another quote from Ed Clowney, which is right behind me. Listen to what he says. Not only is our inheritance kept for us, we are kept for our inheritance. It would be small comfort to know that nothing could destroy our heavenly inheritance if we could lose it at the last. See, the wonder of our hope is that the same power of God that keeps our inheritance also keeps us. We are shielded until that great day when our salvation will be revealed. The word shielded means kept under God. It is used of protective custody. God has put under arrest, as it were, to keep us, has put us under arrest, as it were, to keep us safe for this day. Christians, listen to this. God will not only keep you, not only keep that inheritance for you, but God will keep you. God will guard you through the power of his word. So that what he has promised to us, when he reveals it to us, he will give it to us. See, God keeps us for that final day when we will stand before him. And I think when we hear these words, we should marvel and think, oh, what a merciful and wonderful God. But perhaps as you sit here, you ask, you ask yourself as a Christian, perhaps this is the question that you have. Why doesn't God then reveal this inheritance now? So that the suffering that I'm going through would end. Well, verse 4 to 6 tells us that the purpose tells us that there's a purpose to our suffering. There's a reason why God has decided to use suffering in order to grow us. And this is what, what, this is what God wants to do. God uses suffering and trials to strengthen our faith. God wants to strengthen my and your faith. Now, how does he do that? In two ways. One, in suffering, God uproots all the hope idols that you and I have in our hearts. The marriage and relationship that we thought would be our sure hope. The studies, the career, the job that we thought would be our sure hope. See, all these things that you and I, these created things that we then think will give us the satisfaction or the comfort and security that only the creator can give us. That's what God does. He uproots all these hope idols in our hearts. And then after he turns us towards his son to trust Jesus, especially in our times of suffering and trials. Listen to Paul Tripp. This is what he says in his book, Suffering. The book is titled Suffering, Gospel Hope, when life doesn't make sense. Listen to these words. Suffering has power to lay waste to our idols. Suffering is a way of exposing what's really dear to us, what we feel we can't live without, and what truly rules our hearts. It's not just that what we are going through is painful, and it, indeed, suffering is painful and overwhelming. But also, we have lost what but at that time, also, we have lost what was giving us value and worth. 
See, suffering exposes the inadequacies of, of, of hooking our hope to temporary treasures of, cre- of the created world and positions our hearts and positions our hearts to hook our hope to the Creator in the ways we have never done before. Let me read the last part. Suffering exposes the inadequacies of hooking our hope to temporary treasures of the created world and positions our hearts to hook our hope to the Creator in ways that we have never done before. See, through suffering, God refines us. He moves all these things that we were holding on to that this thing will give me hope. He then turns us to trust his son, Jesus, all the more. See, God, in removing all these things, wants to show us that as a loving and merciful and compassionate father, that these things would never satisfy. These things would never give us the hope we want. Only he can. And so he uses suffering in order to grow, to grow our trust in him. And so we endure in this journey and grow in our faith because God is holding on to us. Brothers and sisters, we have a sure and eternal and enduring hope. A hope that we are told in verse 10 to verse 12 that the prophets spoke of. The prophets knew of this hope, but they could not taste it. They could not experience it until the Lord Jesus Christ suffered on the cross. And we also told that this is a hope that even angels long to look into. You and I have a sure hope. We have an eternal hope. And we have an enduring hope. See, all of creation stands and wonders at what God has done through the suffering of his son. But not only that, but what God is doing or aims to do through our suffering as well. The last quote for us. Listen to David Paulson. This is what he says. In the hands of a loving God, in the hands of a loving Father, sorrow and suffering become the doorways into the greatest and most indestructible joys. See, the great joy of the Christian comes from being counted to suffer for the sake and like our Savior. And it also comes from the fact that God then molds us through our suffering to be like our Savior and to trust our Savior, knowing that one day we will be with him forever. So again tonight, in the words of Laura's story, what if your blessing comes through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know that God is near? What if the trials of this life are his mercies in disguise? When darkness seems to win, we know that the pain reminds us. This is not our home. Brothers and sisters, this is not our home. Let me pray for us. Our dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you that through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, you have given us a sure hope. We are yours. You've chosen us. You've redeemed us through him. And Lord, we know that this work of transformation, this work of being born again, is a work 
that could only be done through the power of your spirit and through the power of the resurrection of Jesus. And because this work is not our own, we know nothing can, excuse me, nothing can change our standing before you, not even our suffering, not even our times of trials. And Lord, you remind us as well that we have an eternal hope. You have prepared for us the new heavens and the new earth, where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, and no more moaning. And dear Lord, would you help us even at this moment to know that you are using suffering to uproot all the idols in our hearts and to help us to trust in Jesus. Lord, remind us that this is not our home, that one day we will stand before our Savior and praise him for his magnificent plan of using suffering to draw us to himself. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen.